Please turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. To 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going through the book of Acts, as uh, most of you are aware, I'm sure. We're going through the book of Acts, and we're coming to Acts chapter 20. Remember, Paul is on his third missionary journey, and he's going along the the western coast of Western Asia, and he's trying to get back to Jerusalem in time to, to be there on the day of Pentecost. And so he's, he's coming here to Miletus, and he's going to send for the Ephesian elders. And so we're going we're gonna to be looking at Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38 in the, the, coming, the coming weeks. Uh, we're not going to be doing it the next two Sundays after this Sunday, Easter Sunday's next week, and encourage you to come to our Good Friday services at 6 on this Friday, and then uh, we're going to not be in Acts 20 in, in two weeks from today, and then we're going to come back and, and do three Sundays, three more additional Sundays on this passage at the end of Acts. But what I want to do this morning is uh, I want to I read from 1 Timothy chapter 3 is this section of the book of Acts is dealing with the office of, of, of shepherd, of elder, and so I want us to be thinking about uh, what that looks like and what it means for us as a church to have elders, what this ministry of, of shepherding entails. And I think this is hitting at a really, uh, really just providential time in the life of our church as we get ready to add some, some additional elders, Lord willing. But what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand now, and I'm going to read the beginning of Acts 20, this passage, and this pause and go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, which hopefully you're, you're there in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So stand with me if you're able to. In Acts 20, verse 17, Paul has arrived in Miletus, and it says in verse 17, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. He called for the elders of the church to come to him. What does that mean? Well, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, and here's what we read about elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Then verses 8 through 13 deal with the role of deacons, which we've talked about within the last year or so in the book of Acts. We come to verse 14 of 1 Timothy 3. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your instructions to us here in, in Acts 20 and instructions to us here in Paul's letter to Timothy. 
We pray that we as, as a church would be faithful to pursue this type of, of ministry. That you'd be uh, gracious to us and providing us with shepherds who, who care for your flock. And we pray this in the name of your son Jesus for your glory. Amen. Well, as I suggested, I, I think this, this text is hitting at a great time in the life of our church. Uh, first of all, I, I know that some of you are newer to our church, and so you may not know exactly what type of church leadership we have here at Bethany. You, you may have arrived here and say, okay, I wonder exactly uh, how they view the, the, the role of an elder. I wonder exactly how decisions are made at this church. That's a, that's a pretty good question to ask. How does leadership function? And so I, I hope if you're new to the church, that's a question you've been thinking through. And even if you've been at the church for a while, you may be trying to remember, okay, exactly how, how do we select elders and who are the elders and how does a person become an elder? In fact, we were, we were having an elder retreat, uh, kind of a mini retreat last weekend. And we were trying to remember, okay, what exactly is the process here? Um, look at the bylaws. How exactly do we, do we lay out some of the chronology here? So we are, uh, just to kind of tell you where we are as a church, we are, Lord willing, going to be adding uh, a few men as, as elders uh, over the next few months. We're going to present some names to you uh, as a church to consider for the, the role of elder. And we, are, uh, we, we look at that role of elder as a very important role. And just to kind of remind you a little bit of the, the process here at Bethany, first of all, an elder can refer to both a a staff elder and a lay elder, someone who's uh, an elder but not on staff. And so the staff elders include me and Ben and, and Kent and Mike and Blake, and the, the lay elders, those who are elders but not uh, past, not part of the, el- the, uh, the, the paid staff, are Dave and Jeff, Kirk, Kevin, Mark, Tony, and, and Wayne. Those are all on our, our website. And a person becomes a lay elder at Bethany Community Church by being, uh, being kind of mentored by an existing elder. And so what happens oftentimes is a person will be identified by the elders and say, you know, this person is doing a great job shepherding their family or their care group. They do a great job teaching. They're kind of already functioning like an elder. Let, let's talk to them and see if they have a desire to become an elder. Or sometimes an individual, a man may come to us and say, look, I, I have this desire to be shepherding. I think God has gifted me in this area, and I would love for, for you as, as elders to help me d- direct this ministry as you think God would, would want me to. Or sometimes someone in the church will come to us as elders and say, hey, have you, have you seen this, this, this man and the, the way that he's shepherding here, just really encouraged by his ministry? And we'll start talking with that man about becoming an elder and, and maybe just kind of a very, just, just talking about what an elder is first. So sometimes an existing elder will go through a, a study on biblical eldership with, with a man. We often go through the book Biblical Eldership by Alexander Strzok. That's, that's the book we go through. And just kind of talking about that. And then that will sometimes begin the process of inviting a man to, to come to some of the elder meetings and just seeing what sort of uh, giftings they have and, and seeing if they believe that they're called to this ministry. And then at some point, and this is a, this is a process that takes uh, generally several years, uh, we'll present them to the church and say, okay, this is a, a man we believe has been called to this ministry, and that's, that's where you as a congregation come in, or another point of the process where you as a congregation come in, and you'll have the opportunity to, to examine their life and to say, okay, uh, these are some questions we might have of this individual, 
And that's, that's where we are right now. And at, here on April 24th, we're going to present some names to you as a congregation to, to think about. And you as a congregation will hear their testimonies. You'll hear them on a Sunday morning and on a Sunday evening. And you'll have the chance to talk with them. And you'll have the chance, if, if there are any questions you have about their qualifications to be an elder and to function as an elder, you'll come and you can talk to them or you can talk to any of the other elders about those questions you have. And then... At the end of the process is us uh, as a church voting to affirm uh, that man in the ministry of elder. And it requires 75% of the, the people who are at that meeting to vote to affirm them to say, yeah, we believe that God is calling them to this ministry. And so that's where we are as a church. Now, we hope that as we present names, uh, none, none of the names that we would ever present would be a surprise. Like hopefully no one ever go, him? Really? Uh, that always, it's always, yeah, of course, that, that person. They've been functioning in this role already in, in some ways. In fact, I would say oftentimes the surprise isn't uh, who is an elder, but sometimes people are surprised that, that a certain leader isn't an elder because of all the shepherding that they're doing. And I'm just so grateful to God for all the, I do believe, qualified individuals we have at this church who are involved in shepherding ministries. So this morning, this morning and over the next few weeks that we spend time in Acts 20, we're going to be talking about this office of elder. And I'm a little nervous about this morning's message in particular. I hope everyone hope you're all geared for some information, okay? I'm, I'm going a little heavy on information this morning, and, and I was actually talking with the Tarkowskis last night. We were talking about what makes a, a message a good sermon or even some characteristics of a, a bad sermon, and I got that, that feeling in the pit of my stomach like, oh, is tomorrow a bad sermon? Uh, it's heavy on content, okay? Some of you are going to be I, my, my fear is that, that some people are, are going to, to look at each other after the end of this message and say, well, that's a seminary class I didn't sign up for. Um, so I, I, hope, I hope that you see the relevance of this, okay? That's why I started with 1 Timothy 3. It's, it's interesting. In 1 Timothy 3, as Paul lays out the qualifications of an elder and then the qualifications of a deacon, what does he do? He, he then tells Timothy, he says, I, I'm telling you these things. Why? Again, look at verse 14 and, and on. He says, I'm telling you these things so that, verse 15, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So the, the, the church is like a household. It's, it's, it's a family unit. And so as we are here at Bethany Community Church, and if you're not a member of Bethany Community Church or part of Bethany Community Church this morning, uh, I apologize. Um, full refunds available if you're not uh, fully satisfied. Uh, see Diane at the Welcome Center after church. Uh, and for a full refund. Uh, but for those of you who are part of this household uh, of, of, of Bethany Community Church, who are part of this church family, it's important that we know how to conduct ourselves. And so there are some, some structural things to consider as we think about, okay, how are we going to relate to one another? How are we going to make decisions? What, what do we want our elders to be? What do we want them to be like? And some of you are coming from other churches, maybe who had, that had different ways of, of viewing some of these things. And so I think it's important to talk through some of these things. Again, I hope they don't go too deep in the weeds, but you're edified as you think about some things that Scripture teaches about the role of an elder and how decisions are made in a church, how a church should be structured. I hope as we go through these weeks, first of all, we, we all come out of this time together with a desire for healthy leadership of the church that all of us would say, this, this is what I desire. 
I desire that God would grant us healthy leadership, and I'd be, we'd all be praying toward that end. I would also hope another goal would be that we'd be equipped to evaluate elders. So if, when we say we want healthy leadership and want biblical eldership, what does that even mean? As we go through this, hopefully you'll have a, a better understanding of, of what that type of leadership looks like. And I hope that we would be convicted, those of us who are elders, as we look at these qualifications and characteristics of an elder, many of us would just examine our own hearts and say, oh, I, I desire this to be even more true of me. As I've met with, with men about becoming elders, every single man that I've met with who's become an elder has, has always had times of, of questioning, saying, okay, I think these characteristics are, are generally true of me, but they're not perfectly true of me. In other words, for example, I'm not is look at the qualifications here. Uh, I, I'm not quarrelsome in terms of a, a general pattern of my life by God's grace, but if you were to ask people very close to me, is Daniel ever quarrelsome? I think they would say yes. He is sometimes quarrelsome. Uh, really anyone close to me, you could ask that, and they would say, yeah, he's sometimes quarrelsome. So I hope that's not, I hope people wouldn't say that he's generally quarrelsome, that doesn't characterize his life, but it's certainly something that by God's grace, we as leaders need to continue to work on. And so as we, as those of us who are in shepherding ministries, we look at these qualifications and we look at what Paul says to the elders in uh, Miletus, the Ephesian elders that he meets with in Miletus, and we say, I, I want these things to be more true of me. And maybe there are some of you who are thinking about becoming, some of you men are thinking about becoming shepherds and, and elders of the church, and, and these would be, uh, this would be an aspiration that you have. Paul tells Timothy, it's a good thing to aspire to the office of, a, of an overseer. All of us should really desire to imitate these, these things. Here's a, here's a central idea, so you kind of sum all that up in a statement. Here's the central idea of our, our series. Uh, this is the main thing I want us to think about. Elders, we see here in Acts 20, are given to a church by God to serve and care for the flock. That's, that's why God gives elders, and, and hopefully we view elders and shepherds as a gift, not like one of those gifts we want to return, but, but a gift that's, that's a joy and, and a blessing to have. By God's grace, elders are, are given to a church by God to serve and care for that flock. That's, they're not there to, to lord over it in terms of authority. They're not there to be served. They're there to serve, to care for others. And we're going to spend a lot of time here uh, understanding exactly what this means. So let's look at verse 17. And we're not Honestly, we're not going to get beyond verse 17 this morning as we talk a little bit about the setting and background. Look at verse 17. It says this. Now, from Miletus, and so remember, he's, he's sailing along the western uh, part of Asia, and he's decided he doesn't want to go into Asia. Paul doesn't because he doesn't want to get uh, sidetracked there. He wants to make it back to Jerusalem. He knows that if he goes to Ephesus, he's for sure going to get uh, delayed there because he spent so much time with that church and has such close relationships he has spent three years there already, and so he's there in Miletus, there on the western part of Asia, and instead of going to Ephesus, he calls the Ephesian elders to come to him. And then he gives them this, this speech that takes up the rest of chapter 20. Interestingly, this speech that Paul gives here is the only recorded speech of, of any length that Paul gives to an exclusively Christian audience. So why does Luke include it here? Luke desires for us 
who are believers to understand what Paul says to leaders in a church. Now, why does Paul send to the, to the elders? And we're going to talk more about the word elders as we go on this morning. But why does he send to the elders? Why doesn't he just send to just random people in the church? Why, why the elders? Because the elders serve as, as leaders of that church. If you want to enact change in an organization, what do you do? You, you talk to the leaders of that organization. Uh, Whitney and I have been going to a lot more uh, soccer games recently. And uh, my understanding of soccer is, is very, very limited. I know you get the ball into the goal, right? But there are some people around us in the stands who apparently have much more understanding of the game of soccer and very freely offer their suggestions to the people who are playing soccer. And so they'll begin to, to, to shout instructions about who should pass to whom and how they should get to the ball, which I would assume would just be kind of natural understanding of what a person needs to do playing soccer. But they are, are, are yelling very enthusiastically their encouragements to the players on, on how they should play the game. Now, if you are a person who really wants to influence how a team plays a game, who do you talk to? I, I don't, I, I think the the, the kids who are playing soccer, by the way, have gotten really good at tuning out the people in the stands. Like, they are just totally unaffected by the yelling. But if you, if you really want to, if you really have this strategy for how a team should operate, who do you talk to? Well, you talk to the coaches. You say, hey, coach, I have this great plan. Here's how you get the ball into the goal more frequently and prevent the other team from getting the ball in your goal as frequently as it's happening to you. You talk to the coaches. Here's, here's what you do. Here's a strategy. Paul recognizes that there's a danger that awaits the, the church in Ephesus. Paul has seen how churches are going in this region. He has seen what the dangers that happen to churches. Then he recognizes that the church in Ephesus is in danger. He loves that church. He wants good things to happen in that church. He wants to protect that church. We're going to talk about some of the dangers that await that church in weeks to come. But what does he do? He begins by talking to the shepherds of that church, to the elders. He sends for the elders, and he asks them to come to him. Now, as we think about this verse as a background, for what ahead, what's ahead, I want to try to lay a foundation. Again, I, I hope this isn't a seminary lecture this morning. I hope you see the relevance of this. But I, I want us to kind of talk about, okay, this, this sending to this group, this, this sending to the elders at Ephesus and, and having them come to him, it implies some things about how a church is structured and what type of leadership it has. And as Paul talks to elders... There are kind of two questions that I want us to think about. One question relates to who these people are, and we'll deal with this, that question secondly in, in the weeks to come. But an, another question relates to just, just structure. When Paul is sending to elders of the church, does this imply that these elders in their position of leadership are just kind of a, a cultural thing? In other words, this is a church made up of some, some Jews, and the Jews had this understanding of how elders should, should shepherd a, an organization. Or is there something that goes beyond just this culture and should affect all churches? Are, are elders supposed to be in a position of leadership at, at all churches or just some churches? Does that question make sense? Two, two questions to think about. Let's, let's talk about the first question. Question number one, what are some different types of church government structures. And, and we're going to talk about three major types of ways that, that churches structure themselves. And by the way, as we, as we go through these, understand this. At Bethany Community Church, I, I'm not 
pretending that, that we have this down perfectly, okay? As we, as we talk about the ideal biblical church structure, none of us in leadership are saying, and all these things are true of us at Bethany Community Church, we all have weaknesses and areas we need to grow in, right? Starting with the teaching pastor. And if, just refrain from the amens there, right? Um, also, also, understand this, there are, some, there are some areas of disagreement we can have on these issues. As I talk about what I believe is a biblical form of church government, understand this, I'm going to be talking about some other forms of government that I don't think model Scripture as well. I'm not saying that if a church has this other type of structure that they're an apostate church, we don't recognize them as a true church, so, so don't hear me saying any of those things, okay? Um, you know, what, what's the most important issue? It's, it's, it's the gospel. And so a, a church that proclaims that Jesus Christ is, is Lord, that believes that a person is saved by God's grace alone, by placing their faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, a church that faithfully proclaims that in these first-tier doctrines, they are brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? So understand that, that we can have some, some, some significant disagreements on the, the right biblical way for us to be a household of God uh, without saying that, that means a person isn't part of a true church, okay? So hopefully you hear me saying that. Different types of church government structures. Here, here's one. Uh, one type is, is the Episcopalian uh, form of government, of, of church polity, of organization. This is a very hierarchical form of, of church leadership. The word episkopos is the, the Greek word for overseer. It's the word you heard me uh, reference earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so that's where we get the word episcopalian from, elder, overseer, bishop. This is the type of church government the Roman Catholic uh, Roman Catholics have, that an Anglican church has, or, or um, an Episcopalian church. Some Methodist churches have this type of church structure. And in this church structure, top down, right? You have archbishop or, or pope or whatever, and then you have the uh, after archbishop, you have, you have bishops, and these bishops oversee uh, uh, priests or rectors at these, these, these local churches, and it's, it's top-down. Now, the benefit of this is it, it, it means there's going to be a lot of unity. You know, one person is making the decisions, and all the other churches are having to go along with this. Also, in our church culture, that our, our, just our North American culture, we have a hard time with authority, and this this system rightly recognizes the reality of, of true biblical authority, or at least the idea that authority can exist among leaders. You know, Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders. This is, a, this is a form of church government that really emphasizes that, right? That being said, I don't have a lot of love for this system of, of church organization. I don't think this is the type of authority that, that God would desire uh, individuals to have. I, I think there are systems that better capture the, the need for a plurality, a, a team of shepherds. Also, I think in practice, this really misunderstands the, the type of authority that God desires his shepherds to have. If, if you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, here's just a passage I would encourage you to, to anytime you want to think about how church leadership should operate, you should immediately go to Matthew chapter 20 as kind of a, a template to understand the type of authority that should exist in a church. And as we think about the controversies in the North American church today, this is a passage that should instantly come to our mind as we think about the nature of the authority that God desires shepherds to have in the life of the sheep. 
Jesus calls his disciples to him as they're arguing about who's the greatest. And he says this in verse 25, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Those of us who are part of the church are those who have understood the gospel. And what does the gospel teach us? The gospel teaches us that Jesus Christ, God himself, came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead. It's, it's the act of service that brings us into relationship with God. And those who would be his under shepherds need to emulate that, right? Anyone who has a concept of a leader in the church being like a CEO of a company or like a, a, like a, a parent of a toddler doesn't rightly understand what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 20, I believe. The type of leadership that we're to, to show within the church is a, a servant leadership. And we'll unpack that as we go on in the coming weeks. The next type of, of church structure, church polity, church organization, you might call the Presbyterian form of church government. This comes from the Greek word presbyteros, and, and that is the word that we encounter here in Acts chapter 20 uh, that is translated elder, right? So it's a presbyteros, it's, a, it's an elder, and many of you probably have come from a Presbyterian church type of government, and you could explain this better than, than I can, but essentially my understanding of this type of church structure, if you start at the bottom, you have the, the local church, and you have over that local church, you have a, a session, which consists of, of teaching elders and ruling elders, and then you have, that, so that session is the, in charge of the local church, and then you have a presbytery, which consists of several different sessions, you know, representatives from the different sessions come to the presbytery, and then you have a general synod that has representatives from all the different, or some of the different presbyteries. That's kind of the, the structure there. Now, if you think about that, if you think about that, there, there are some, I think, biblical strengths there. I think a lot of people who are in Presbyterian forms of church government would point to Acts chapter 15. From what happens in Acts chapter 15, we talked about some months ago, in Acts chapter 15, there's this, there's this discussion about how the Gentiles are going to be part of the church and, and the, the church is gathered together. And in, in verse 22, they, they come to this conclusion. It says, it seemed, this is uh, Acts 15, 22, that it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And so there's this letter that the, the council comes up with. And those who are part of the Presbyterian type of church government would say, you know what, that's, that's a model for how decisions should be made. You get a bunch of churches together, you talk about an issue, and the authority to make a decision comes from a, a collection of churches that are gospel-preaching churches and submission to God's Word. The, the authority of, of, this, of this decision comes from a collection of churches making that decision. Now, those of us who are part of the, the last form of church government we talked about in a minute, uh, congreg congregationalists would say, no, the authority in Acts 15 doesn't come from a bunch of churches coming together. The authority comes from being obedient to the apostles' teaching, to God's word. But uh, to their credit, I think there, there is a strength of relationship that we see in Presbyterian form of, of church government. Negatively, though, I, I think it creates some, 
some strange distinctions between teaching and ruling elders. I think it creates kind of an unbiblical layer of administration a lot of times. It can make it really difficult to, to make decisions. Sometimes when I've been talking with uh, Presbyterians about a, a specific shepherding issue, we, we all agree on what the biblical thing to do is in a situation, but they've got to go through like three lawyers, and anytime you get lawyers involved, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, you just, it's, just a, it's just kind of this labyrinth of, of administrative systems sometimes. Uh, and also, also, it can create uh, a situation where you have a local church that's operating very biblically, but what, what happens? They're kind of bound to a, a synod, a, a general assembly that's, that's acting in a very unbiblical way, and they're, and they're stuck. And then one of my primary concerns with, with this church structure, and you'll, you'll hear me talk about this as we, we come to the to congregational form of government in just a second. One of my primary concerns is you have shepherds who are shepherding people they have no relationship with. And so you have a person who's in, entrusted with the soul of another person, and yet there's, there's zero relationship and, and a huge separation between them. And I think that's, that's not the biblical form of shepherding we encounter in the New Testament. Although I have a lot of respect for, for many uh, Presbyterian congregations. That brings us to the last type of church government that I want us to think about this morning. And uh, let me be honest again here. Um, this is the part of the message where I thought, okay, I think I can pe- keep people paying attention to here. And then I'm going to tell them something, and I, I think some people are going to start playing Tetris or something, okay? There's five subcategories I want to talk about here. <laughs> We're all friends, right? <laughs> and, and hopefully you see the joy in this. There, there's some joy that I, that I hope uh, you, you encounter here, and I'll, I'll try to go through some of these quickly. But the congregational form of government believes this. It believes that church authority resides at the local church level. So the, the local church has the the autonomy to decide how to, to make decisions, all right? You say, well, Daniel, does this even matter? I just want to love Jesus. Yeah, it matters because how we're, we're going to make decisions as a household of God and try to glorify God. How we do that matters. So one way that congregational form of government works is like anarchy, okay? The Holy Spirit leads, whatever happens, happens. Those churches don't last long. You probably don't know many like that. Another way, another type of congregationalism is we might call it the, the single pastor model. Not like he's single on the dating scene, but like just one pastor, okay? And then you have a, a deacon board above or below that single pastor, and uh, the, the, the single, there's just one elder, one primary shepherd. That tends to not go well very often. Many of us have come from historic small Baptist churches like this, and that's the type of church I grew up in. But there can be a lot of danger here, right? A lot of danger of burnout or a lack of accountability, just not a, a shared shepherding ministry. I've talked with many friends who are in, in positions like this, and they're, they're just weary right now, right? Um, 30 to 40% of pastors in America right now, according to some surveys, are considering resigning, and a lot of them are in these, these situations where they're just worn out, right? Another type of of church structure is is the 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 democracy type of congregationalism. This is where everything is put up for a vote. So you want to 
you vote on a budget, which, which we vote to affirm a budget as well, but you vote on not just budget, but you vote on if you want to change the color of the carpet, you vote on if you want to uh, change the font size in the bulletin. I mean, you just vote on everything, right? It just becomes this, this mess oftentimes, right? In terms of, of how, uh, how deep in the weeds decisions get made. It doesn't really allow shepherds to shepherd. And I, I've been in churches where this, this goes well, and I've been in churches where this type of church structure goes poorly. And I've been in churches where you have these meetings, and everybody in the meeting has a, a copy of the, the church constitution and bylaws because they're going to make sure that everyone, and we're all going to follow that exactly. And, and any time you have a, a group of people who are claiming to be a family but holding one another uh, accountable to a document, it's not a good sign, right? Or rarely a good sign. You can imagine being in a marriage relationship where you carry around a copy of your marriage vow. And, hey, remember, you said in sickness and in health, and joy, and this is sorrow, and you need to do this, and you promised to submit, and you promised to sacrifice, and it's just not going to be a very healthy relationship, right? Then another type of, another type of congregational structure is kind of the corporate board model, and and this is kind of where a lot of churches are right now, modeled after organizations that can direct large numbers of people and, and a lot of committees and, and a lot of uh, structures like that. And I was just reading a, this, this last week a Facebook post by Tim Keller, who was the retired pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And he was writing an article about different, different um, in the past, he wrote a very insightful article about different sized churches. But this is what he says about this is what he says about um, his own church that split into, th- after he retired, it split into three different congregations. He was talking about some of the weaknesses of a large church. And, and his church had been kind of structured this way with, with lots of different committees and things like that. He says, mega churches have some design flaws. They're poor places. Listen to what he writes. He says, large churches can be poor places for formation and pastoral care due to their size. It's, they can be poor places for shepherding for involvement in people's lives because of their, their size. Uh, large churches tend to grow fast under a founder, but they depend too much on the gifts and personality of that founder, and th- that, that needs to be broken. The, the founder can see the church as a personal possession instead of being part of a team, whereas, he says, smaller churches are going to make better use of lay people, shepherding, instead of just being a place where people can come and serve. Which brings us to the, the fifth type of, of church structure that I would encourage us as, as the biblical model. And this is a, a congregationalism, so the authority rests in an individual church. We're accountable before God for how we structure our church. But it, it consists of a, a plural, a plurality of, of, of elders, a plurality of elders, a, a plural group of local elders, of, of shepherds and pastors. And that's what I think here we see in Acts 20. What does it say? It says that from Miletus, Paul calls to him, what? The elders. It's a, it's a group of individuals, a group of men who are shepherding the church to come to him. And this model, the, the local church leaders decide how they're going to obey God. All the elders need to be doing the basic things, but there's, there's freedom in how they implement these decisions, and they're accountable before God for how they do the biblical things that God has called them to do. And we see what happens in, in healthy churches is these, these elders are going to be equipped with these responsibilities and given these responsibilities, and another group of elders has responsibility over this congregation. So each congregation has the 
group of men who are shepherding that church and have a responsibility for God to do what he's calling them to do. And, by the way, we have to be very careful about how we look at other churches and the decisions they sometimes make and how to shepherd an area where we might decide something differently. So maybe they decide to do uh, small groups on a different night than we would, or they do uh, Sunday school classes on, on Wednesday and call them Wednesday classes. And so each elders need to kind of decide, a group of elders and congregation decide, okay, here's how we're going to be obedient to God. And you think about our own history with Bethany Baptist Church and how gracious Bethany Baptist Church was as they planted us to say, okay, you guys can just decide how you're going to, to do church as, as a group of believers. You're going to decide. Uh, we started using the ESV translation, so the NIV. Uh, I stopped wearing a suit and tie, and it was a beautiful day, right? I mean, there's just all these things that we did a little different, and they were fine with that, and, and their grace, they let us do it. It's like, it's like a parent, right? It's like a parent with, with a child. I, I, whenever Hannah was, was little, what was there, was there was high level involvement. Here's what time you're going to go to bed. Here's what time you're going to get up. And then she got older, and there was, there was less of that. Now, now she's getting married, and there is even way less of that, right? You're just, you're just kind of saying, okay, what do you want to do? Uh, she's, she's planning her wedding. And we think about how, Whitney and I were thinking about how we planned our wedding, the things we did in our wedding. We're talking with her about what she's going to do in her wedding. And in our wedding, we had stringed instruments. In our wedding, we, we put like an advertisement in the, the bulletin of three different churches and said, hey, everybody come. In our wedding, we you know, just did a, a bunch of different things. Her, her wedding, she, she was talking to us, hey, I'm going to do things different. I'm shy. We're gonna have a small wedding. You know, the only people that I that I know pretty well, and I'm a, I'm gonna not have stringed instruments, and, and all those things are, are you know it's it's her deal. It's fine. It's great. No wrong way to do these things. Same with church leadership. There's some some freedom that we have. So that's that's the first question. What is uh, what are some of the different types of church structures? And we believe that this congregational form is is the biblical model that God would have us do, being led by a group of shepherds. Which brings us to this second question I want us to consider this morning. What is an elder? We see that, that word used in verse 17. What does that word mean? Does that mean like you have to be a certain age to be a, a, a leader of a church, or does it mean something else? Well, let's, let's unpack this. This is not referring to a chronological age. It's referring to an office. It's referring to a, a specific ministry that God gives men in the church. And so here are kind of four things. We're going to unpack these more in the coming weeks, but four things I want us to touch on this morning, again, as we lay a foundation this morning. What is an elder? A couple things I want us to, to see about this word. Number one, elders are, are servant leaders. Right? Elders are to be servant leaders. Again, the word that we encounter here in verse 17 is presbyteros. It's, it's the word, again, that we get the presbytery from. Uh, listen to what Alexander Strzok writes in his book, Biblical Eldership. He says, leadership by a council of men called elders predates the synagogue and was very familiar to the Jews and all readers of the Greek Old Testament. The Council of Elders was one of Israel's oldest, most fundamental institutions. And as we see Paul putting leadership over the local church, he gives them elders. And so the question is, well, was this just a cultural thing? Like, does he do it just, does Paul do this just in, in Jewish culture churches? And the answer is no, this is, this is not just a, a cultural thing. Listen to what Strzok writes again. He says, because Paul was Christ's special apostle and teacher of the Gentiles, 
what he did in these newly planted churches should be of paramount importance to us. In the sovereign will and gifting of God, Paul was, as 1 Corinthians 3.10 says, a wise master builder who successfully laid the foundation of these first Gentile churches. And the fact that Paul saw the establishment of elders as strategically important was therefore of great significance. And so Paul, in, in all the regions that he goes to, establishes elders to shepherd the church. And it's not just Paul. Peter talks about elders. And it's not just Paul and Peter, but the writer of Hebrews mentions elders as well. And so this isn't just a, a cultural thing. It, it's, it's what we see God doing in his church throughout the witness of the New Testament. A second thing I want you to notice here as we think about elders and what that word means is we know that elders are, are qualified men. Now, qualified doesn't just mean good leaders. It means qualified as, as God would define what a biblical leader is to be. There have been several times in, in seminary classes or conversations with, with other local church pastors where we've been talking about leaders and leadership. And, and, and one of the things that surprised me is that sometimes as, as people are talking to me about the qualifications for a, a person in a pastoral ministry, they often add some qualifications that aren't necessarily biblical. So, for example, one of the classes I was going through in seminary talked about how a pastor had to be a, a visionary, and it kind of described all these characteristics of a visionary and, and kind of just, just taking the world's understanding of what a CEO is and kind of taking that and copying and pasting it onto the biblical qualifications for an elder, pastor. In fact, I was, I was talking to a, a person who was in a part of a pastoral search committee, and he, he told me about all the, the things they were, they were looking for. And I said, well, okay, well, well, tell me about what are you looking for in terms of, of his, his preaching philosophy? And, and, and how, you know, are you looking for a guy that's going to be an expository teacher who opens to you and the, the Word of God and goes to the whole council of God? And he says, I, I don't know what that is. What do you mean? You know, it's like, well, okay, I think maybe you've gotten some qualifications mixed up here in terms of what your priorities are. 1 Timothy and, and in Titus and in 1 Peter chapter 5 and here in Acts chapter 20, we, we see these, these understand, this biblical understanding of, of what it means to be qualified. It's, it's a person, it's, a, it's specifically here also a, a man, a male, who takes the office of teacher in terms of leading the church and engages in the task of shepherding. Paul's admonitions to Titus, to the Corinthian church, confirm this isn't just a, a cultural instruction to have male, males serving in this position, but it's, it's a, a universal instruction. Paul says these words in 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. Uh, and then he goes on and he talks about the, the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, we need to be very careful with that, right? Very often men can take this position of authority and abuse it, Biblical authority, as we've talked about already, is not designed to, to force our uh, control on other people, but instead it's an office to be used to serve, and we need to also make sure we provide women with the opportunity to use their gifts of teaching and shepherding, even if it's not in the office of, of elder. And we're going to unpack that more in future messages. But we're looking not just for capable men, we're not looking just for, for people who have great people skills, uh, we're looking for qualified, biblically qualified men. Third thing here, third thing, let us see. Elders we see biblically are a team. They're a team. Again, notice that it's, it's here in Acts 20, it's, it's a group that joins Paul. It's not 
a single pastor, it's, it's a team. John Stott writes this, he says, there's no biblical warrant either for the one-man band, a single pastor playing all the instruments of the orchestra himself, or a hierarchical or pyramidal uh, structure in the local church, a single pastor perched at the apex of a pyramid, Stott writes. It's better to think of them as a team all sharing the pastoral care of Christ's flock. We need today, Stott concludes, to recover this concept of a pastoral team in the church. Then the last thing I want you to see here about shepherds, uh, what an elder is, is elders are pastors. You say, what does that mean? This is, this is a huge issue. Look there at the text of Acts chapter 20 and, and, and notice something. There are some words that you're going to encounter in Scripture. You're going to, in the English translation, you're going to encounter the word overseer or bishop. Those both, again, come from the, the Greek uh, word episkopos. You're going to encounter the word elder or presbyter. That's going to come from the Greek word presbyteros. You're going to encounter the word shepherd or pastor. These are all referring to the same office. So, for example, here in Acts 20, notice you, you encounter all three ideas, elder, pastor, um, overseer. He, he says, as, as he begins, Luke tells us that he assembles the elders, so that's the word presbyteros, and then he talks about them being overseers or episkopos, and he's going to tell them to, to oversee or shepherd, that's the word from which we derive the word pastor. So, elders, overseers, bishops, pastors, it's, it's all the same office. So you say, well, what, what does that look like at Bethany Community Church? We, we do something a little weird here. It, it's, it's not, we're, we're drawing a different distinction as we sometimes use the word pastor or elder. Sometimes we use the word pastor just to describe those elders who are paid to be elders, right? So, okay, these are, these are the people that, you know, Paul mentions those who are, are, are worthy of double, double honor, who excel at teaching. And so we go, these are people we're going to allow to dedicate their lives to the pastoral ministry, and so we're going to give them the finances so they can do that. And these other elders, you know the old joke, they're good for nothing, ha, ha, ha. Um, they, they're they're going to be elders uh, who serve a, apart from the, the financial support of the church, right? And so sometimes we call them elders and we call the other group of elders pastors. That's not a biblical uh, distinction that the Scripture makes. And, you know, if, if I was in charge of, like, hitting reset on on the entire North American Christendom, I'd probably change the way that we we do that in terms of how we refer to each of those. And in fact, you may, you may hear me calling lay elders pastors sometimes, and that's, that's intentional so that we understand that it's not just one or two or five guys who are pastors, but, but all of the elders are, are pastors. All of them are shepherds. Now, I want us to grow in that area and to distinguish less and less between paid and unpaid elders uh, by using the term pastor. I think the less we distinguish the two, the stronger we are in understanding a biblical model of, of shared leadership. I think of, I just think that's healthy. Vitally important for our church, the health of our church to, to grasp this. And again, don't be surprised if I start referring to other elders who are on staff as uh, Pastor Dave. And in fact, maybe Luke can help me. Just start calling his dad. Just start calling him Pastor Dave. In fact, all you elder kids... Uh, you know, the Carbaugh's and Hoffman's, Lehman's. Maybe just start calling your dad Pastor Jeff, Pastor Kirk, uh, Pastor Tony. Help me out there. 
elders are given to a church by God to serve and, and care for the flock. What's the purpose of our authority? 2 Corinthians 10 says this. Paul writes, he says, if I boast a little too much of our authority, and, he says, and then he says this about the authority that, that God gave him. He says, the Lord gave me this authority for building you up and not for destroying you. Let, let me read that again. It, it's, it's, if you're reading 2 Corinthians 10, it almost feels like a throwaway line. It, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not Paul's main point, but it's, it's so important for us to grasp. He, said, he says, I'm, I'm talking about our authority, the authority the Lord gave for building you up. Why are elders a gift to the church? Elders are a gift to the church not because of our winning personality or just how much fun we can be at a party. Elders are a gift to the church because God has given us to the church to serve the church by building it up. I was reading a book uh, yesterday about our Reformed Baptist history. You know, how did we get here? And, it's, and the book was talking about the early Reformed Baptists and how early Reformed Baptists were trying to explain to other people who were part of the Reformation how uh, we're, we're part of this Reformed movement too. And they were trying to talk about what a church is. And one of the, one of the, the core truths of what a church is, is is one of these early Baptists, uh, Reformed Baptists said this, look, we're we're, we're, we're baptized believers, we're professing baptized believers, and we covenant together as a church, and we come together. And then the, the book said this, as you're talking about what this, this, these early reformers said, the Spirit's work in knitting and uniting their hearts together in truth follows as we become a church. Unity and love and truth progresses in the body by means of the Spirit's acting on the proclamation of Scripture. A corporate witness to truth provides the only clear evidence that such a work of the Spirit has, in fact, occurred. We desire to be a body that proclaims the beauty of Christ. And as we do that, we have the, this office of elder that's been designed to care for us, to provide for us. And as, as all this this morning, thanks for staying with me this morning, all this this morning kind of serves as a background to, to what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. We're going to be talking about the types of shepherds for which we should long as a church. Next time we're in this passage, we're going to see that a, a person who's a shepherd needs to be faithful in serving, teaching, and running the course. And then we're going to talk about some, some words that God gives uh, of instruction to those who are in this, this office of elder. And we're going to be able to, to kind of publicly say, hey, elders, this is what you got to be doing. So do it, right, by God's grace. Elders are given to the church by God to serve and care for his flock. As we know this and believe this together, it's going to help us function as a household of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you've given it to us to, to know how we should conduct ourselves and our relationships with each other. We thank you for the, the office of, of elder. We pray that you would equip the elders in our church to, to shepherd well, to shepherd faithfully, to, to run the course that you've put before them. And Father, help us as a church to hold these men to account, uh, to lovingly hold them uh, to the, the ministry that you've called them to, and by your grace to, to help them succeed. I thank you for the church you've given us. 
a church that loves you and is, is doing, I believe, just such a, a faithful job and, and caring for one another. Continue to help us to do so, not for our own glory, uh, but for yours. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.